Morning, y'all. Would you please stand as we read the word of the Lord together from Genesis? The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. For I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. The flood continued 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed so mightily upon the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered, 15 cubits deep. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. At the end of some time, Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him in the ark. He waited another seven days and again set forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and in her mouth a freshly plucked olive leaf. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. Uh, I'm glad if you're here with us in our auditorium or with, your, with us online, it's good to have you. Before we jump into our sermon, uh, I want to introduce myself. My name is Shane Hughes. Did I just do that? Good. I am one of the ministers here. And uh, at the end of every year, it's been our uh, habit for the last few years to, to take an, a restoration offering. And it, it kind of serves three purposes. One, it helps you catch up if you got a little behind on your giving in the past year. Uh, two, if you have been especially blessed by God, it gives you a chance to give. But most importantly, it allows you to join in to the vision that we see that what God is doing here at Highland, in Abilene, and the world as we work to partner with God to restore those things. And so I'm pleased to announce to you today, in addition to your uh, normal giving in those last three weeks, uh, the Highland Church of Christ gave $345,166. Yes. And I, and I say that not to boast about ourselves or, or, or the things that we do, but just to simply say thank you. Thank you for being so generous and gracious. Thank you for being willing to partner with God and to do God's work in the kingdom. Uh, thank you. And we look forward to the ways that we're going to be able to tell you in the next few weeks and months uh, coming soon how we're going to use uh, those resources uh, to bless our city, bless our world, and bless our church. 
Uh, we've been in this origin story. This, this, we're going through Genesis 1 through 11 for the past few weeks. And I'm, I'm excited about this story, about Noah, because I found something new. It's actually something pretty remarkable. Uh, but my first experience with the flood story, I think it was like most of us that grew up in church, it was mostly like our first experience was in Sunday school with flannel graph, um, and, and you made animal sounds as each of the animals went up into the ark two by two. I also remember this story as a toy. My older sisters, I inherited from them this kind of like play school Noah's Ark set, and it had this little boat with a, uh, the roof you could take off, and, and there was Noah and the animals, and you could put all of them in where you're playing in the tub. And then the third experience I had with this was more of a, a daydream during church than anything else. I grew up in, in, in the Midwest, in, in Denver, Colorado, and I think every church building was built under the same like architectural plan. I think they just gave it to everybody for free and said, here, build your church. But, but the auditorium was all the same. It was a long square, and it had these rafters that went up like this, beams that came up and over, and then the top was wood. Every church I had been at for the first 12 years of my life looked exactly the same. And in my imagination, on those Sundays when my mind would wander, that that auditorium would flip upside down, and it became a boat, a boat that I could sail with, with Noah. And, and I think we put off this story on children when you approach it because it leads to very disquieting questions as an adult, theological questions. Who exactly is God that kills nearly all of humanity. Can we trust that God? He is definitely not safe, but is that God good? And if so, how is God good? And I want us to struggle with these questions as we look at this story from a different angle, not as a child playing with the ark in the tub or a flannel graph picture of animals coming on two by two, but I want us to imagine, because this week I've made this startling discovery. People for, for, for hundreds of years have searched for the place of Noah's Ark to find Mount Ararat and find the remains of the Ark. I didn't find the Ark this week, but I did find Noah's journal that told of his experiences on the Ark. And I want to share that with you today. And one of the things I thought imagining Noah's journal would be to quote Noah from Scripture. And so I went back to, to Genesis, and I reread to find all the lines that Noah said. And I was surprised when I was rereading the text because Noah doesn't say anything until the very end, after the ark has landed, and it's to curse his grandson, Canaan. Noah says hardly anything at all in this story. And because this is an imaginative approach, I'm going to take a little liberty with the silences in the story. For instance, we know that Methuselah dies the year of the flood, but we don't know if he dies in the flood. Another one is that Noah's father, Lamech, is alive at the same time as Adam or Adam. But we don't know if they ever met or talked. And so I want you to join me as we explore Noah's journal together. But before we jump into that, let's pray. Father God, in a world that is 
full of war and rumor of war and threats of violence. In a world where it seems like people find new ways to cheat each other and swindle. Father, in a world where it seems like evil presses in on every side, we turn to you. We turn to you to show us the way. We turn to you to guide us in paths of righteousness and holiness. And Father, now as we turn to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. Okay, one more thing. As we read through Noah's journal together, I want you to do something for me. Every time we think and talk about the ark, I want you to think about the church. Maybe it's that old Midwestern church building turned upside down. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. I want you to kind of draw a line in your imagination because it's absolutely clear that the first century, the early Christian believers did that exact same thing. They saw themselves, the the church body that's gathered as living in the ark, the means by which that they would be saved. So much so that Jeff Childers and other early church historians would tell you that that, uh, early baptistries had eight sides. They were octagonally shaped So that you could remember that through those eight people were saved on the ark, you are saved through your baptism at church. So let's experience this together. There are so many stories I want to write down so I remember, so I never forget about how careful we had to be when we were gathering the porcupines. We had this very serious discussion if somebody was actually going to turn them both over to make sure we had a boy and a girl. About how we had to keep the mice from scaring all the elephants and how really messy a giraffe is when it gets a sore throat. I I wouldn't have told you, but I know now that a, a hyena laughs in its sleep. But those stories don't matter because they're not the big story. Shem and Japheth think, Japheth think, I'm going to be some sort of hero. The people will always remember this story. And if that's the way the story gets told, then it's going to miss the point. The Lord God was the visionary, the planner, the architect, the patient deliverer. The Lord God found a builder. I have been witness to wonders you would not believe. I wouldn't have believed unless they'd happened right in front of me. The Lord God is the hero of this story, and that's the only way that I can tell it to you. Day one. I remember a few times when my father was still alive. Late at night, as the fire grew dim, he would tell stories about Adam, the first man. Adam was my great, 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 great grandfather, and, 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 and my father was alive Adam was alive when my father was young. And at that point, Adam was nearing the end of his long life. And my father said that Adam never wanted to talk about the garden, no matter what, no matter how much you pastored him about it. He wouldn't speak two words about the place. And if you were able to make him talk, he would always tell the same story. It was, it was about the first piece of fruit that he ate in the garden. It was a peach. It was a peach that was so big, you had to hold it with two hands. And when you bit into it every bite, it made your eyes closed because it tasted so good. The juice would run down your chin like nothing he has ever experienced since. 
It was the first fruit he ever had. And that's what he missed most about the garden, the fruit. It was always just arm's reach away, perfectly ripe and delicious. But one time, my father told me another story about Adam. He told me that one time they were at the campfire. It was a cold night. It was just the two of them. And Adam had this faraway look in his eyes as he stared into the flames. He told my father that he always lied about the story about the garden. I mean, the fruit story was true, but it wasn't the thing that he missed the most. The Lord God would sit and listen to Adam for hours and make Adam laugh and laugh, and he never got to talk to the Lord God like that after he left the garden. It was the hardest thing to bear. Yesterday, the Lord God came and spoke to me. When you hear a voice, you turn your face in the direction that you heard it. But this wasn't a voice that I heard above me or below me or or behind me. It was a voice that I heard within me. My eyes became unfocused and I stared into nothing. And he said things that sounded so unreal. Do I dare even believe it? How can I be certain it was the Lord God and not some trickster demon come to make a fool out of me? How do I know that that voice wasn't just bad dates from the night before? How do I know the Lord God? It was the Lord God's voice and not just illusions of grandeur. God was angry. God was sad. There is a fracture between creation and creator. Creation has betrayed the Creator. What the Lord God has called very good, He will blot out. He told me that He's nauseated by humanity's weakness. He's going to destroy everything with a great flood. He said that the weakness of humanity was great in the earth. Every inclination of their hearts were only evil all the time. He repented that He'd even made humanity, and it grieved His heart. The Lord God said, I will blot out from the earth all of the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. He wants me to build an ark for my family and the animals to live during the storm. Well, I am terrified that the Lord God has the power to do these sorts of things. I'm grateful that he chose me and my family to survive. I don't blame him. Things have become horrible. We are the created in the image of God, and we're the only things in the entire universe created like that. We imagine things that have never existed before, and then we can say them, and then we can create them. We can make new tools to make our farming easier. We can write new songs that no one has heard before, but that's not what people do. They use their image of God to think of new bad things, new ways to hurt each other with violence and evil. Nothing they do is good. Everything is selfish and cruel. But evil isn't a thing in the way that good and God are things. Evil is just good bent. The gangs that roam the streets at night are bent families. People bent work into stealing, both the poor and the powerful. The difference is the poor do it with their hands and the rich do it with their laws. The Lord God commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, but we have bred more violence than children. Violence has covered the whole earth. 
And it's nearly impossible to live in a place like this and not be sucked into it all. I can't sell at the marketplace without sacrificing uh, incense to false gods. I can't go to my neighbor's parties because of all the wickedness that happens there. You would think that dealing honestly in business with friends would earn respect, and it, it does sort of. People respect me, but they also mock me. And now I have to build a boat in a place where it's never rained. People are going to think I'm going crazy. Old man Noah finally lost it in his 600th year. I know they will mock me about my conversation with the Lord and his plan to destroy the earth. And I want to believe, I want to believe it was the Lord God speaking to me. I know the Lord God never lies. So when my feet began to move again, I went to the lumber yard to buy gopher wood. God chose me. God chose us to be part of his plan to fix the world. And when I got back home, I noticed there were a few animals hanging around the house, waiting. So far we have two horses, seven goats, and two rabbits. Day 26. It seems like eternity since it began raining. The rain began with a drizzle, but then it really began to pour, and the dark clouds grew as black as night, and all you could see were lightning flashes from the heavens to the earth. It was as if God was shooting arrows with his war bow into the ground, making war against creation. And everywhere the lightning hit the ground, fountains of the deep would open and gush out. I've never been so scared in all my life. It was as if God had opened the windows of heaven and the doors beneath. Our, our neighbors beat on the door, screaming for us to let them in. But God had sealed the door shut. He controlled it. And there was no way for us to open it to help them. They offered us their money and their lands, anything. Eventually, they stopped banging on the door. And I have to tell you, the silence that followed was worse than the noise of their pleas. We felt the ark lift off the ground. We are safe, but it makes me ask, who is this Lord God? When he spoke to me, I remember he was not like an angry tyrant, but more like a troubled parent who grieves over the alienation of his children. He was not enraged, but saddened. He could not let his creation go. He could not walk away as if it didn't matter. The things humanity could do affected God, hurt God. The evil in our hearts hurt the Lord God's heart. Can the Lord God change his mind? God is not some fixed, immutable entity that exists so far separate from the world and humanity that we could never affect him. God took a tremendous risk in creating humans that have the power to choose him because that also means that we have the power not to choose him, even to hurt him. And God is willing to put his own heart on the line for us. Although I am not certain how any of this will end, I will place my trust in him. Here in this ark, along with seven sheep, two orangutans, and 17 rabbits. Day 83. The boys have been complaining a lot. We all feel it. We're bound up in this boat, the water swelling beneath us. Everyone feels a little on edge, even the animals. They are impatient too. 
Sometimes the alligators get a little bitey when it's time to brush their teeth. The hawks flex their wings like they forgot how to fly. I never knew how a boat this big would feel so small. We are tired, that's for sure. But we are thankful for the grace that God shows us in little ways. One of the parrots has learned how to trumpet just like an elephant. Sounds exactly the same. And one day, Shim was brushing uh, one of the axe fur, and this parrot swept up behind them and let out an elephant trumpet as loud as could be, and they both were startled. The young, the, 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 the yak, he passed out. He fell on Shim's feet. He was yelling and pushing and laughing and struggling to get out, and all we could do was laugh. Everything the world needs is in this boat. Shem's wife likes to say, it might be stinky on the ark, but it sure beats the alternative. The ark isn't much, but it's enough. It brought us all together. It helped us to see the good in one another. I didn't realize it before, but there have been little arcs all throughout my life. When two people come together and don't allow their differences to become barriers, it's an ark that keeps love afloat. Fundamentally, the ark is not made of wood, it's made of love. Not love as an excuse for mushy sentimentalism, but love that's summons to battle against all that is awful and wicked about this world. The ark, in other words, is where we have each other. It's where we have hope. There are times when we stop to reflect on everything that's been happened in the past few months. God chose me. I didn't earn this before the flood, and I'll never be able to play God back for his mercy and protection. This, this must be what grace is. Not just for me, but for my wife, our sons, their wives, two antelopes, two cockatoos, seven cows, two badgers, and 68 rabbits. Day 267. The dove returned with an olive sprig in its mouth. We are so excited. I can hardly write. God has remembered us. He has remembered us. We must have courage and know that the the sprig of green in its mouth foreshadows a reality beyond the storm more precious than the likes any of us can imagine. Day 370. The Lord God has opened the door today, but more importantly, he made a covenant with us. Now, I have made covenants and contracts with all sorts of people. You do such and such by such a time, and I will pay you that. You agree to sell me uh, at this, sell to me at this price, and I will buy so many. It's an agreement and a bond, and sometimes, you know, most of the time, people actually kept them. But God made his covenant with all of humanity, not just my family, but all of humanity that's yet to come. All of the animals and the birds and everything that was affected by the flood. He said, I'm establishing my covenant with you that never again shall all, be, all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, I gotta be honest with you. Most of us heard an if there at the end. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth if you keep my commandments, if you offer the correct sacrifice, if you never make another mistake. But that isn't what the Lord God said. There was nothing on our end of the deal whatsoever. 
He was making this covenant with us. God said, I won't hurt you like this again. I won't hurt the earth like this again. And I won't forget because I am hanging my war bow in the heavens where you and I will both see it. And when I see it, I will remember. I won't forget the promise I am making this day. I will remember. And the Lord God always keeps his promises. but we're never going to change. I still see it in my boys and their wives. I see it in me. Brothers are still going to fight, and couples are still going to hurt each other, and we will create new ways of disappointing God. We are not going to change. But God will continue to love the world. And the world will continue to break the heart of God. And God's commitment to the world... uh, by promising never to destroy it by water again is a promise that God is willing to let himself be continually hurt by rebellious and evil human activity. God will take the abuse. His body will bear the bruises and the punctures of our wrath, and he will not forget his promise. From now on, God will not repay betrayal with betrayal, but with love. God's promise is to life, life to all of us, including three elephants, eight cats, six zebras, and 534 rabbits.